Welcome to Nashville to Memphis, a podcast hosted by Dr. Jason Lee McKinney, a recording artist, songwriter, and the rock star professor. N2M is a podcast where Jason and a guest or two literally talk on the phone while Jason is driving down I-40. The only subject criteria is that this podcast is all about the random crap Jason thinks about. So, all of you podcasters and audiophiles, just chill on the sound quality, you dig? Jason is a front pocket theologian, back pocket socio-philosopher, and a jockstrap surveyor of the music industry. You may not be able to make sense of it all, but that's okay. Neither can he. Thanks for listening to Nashville to Memphis. Don't forget to rate and write a review for the podcast on iTunes. You can find it under the title Nashville to Memphis. You can reach the podcast at www.facebook.com slash Nashville to Memphis. And check out Jason's music at www.jasonleemckinneyband.com as well as iTunes and Spotify under Jason Lee McKinney Band. This week on N2M, I make a call up to the Bluegrass State to talk to my longtime friend, Toby Jenkins. We chat about social constructs, the Me Too movement, and New Edition. Toby is a marriage and family therapist, associate, and the founder of the Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy, LLC and Jenkins Professional Services, an executive coaching firm. Toby is a lecturer at the University of Kentucky where he teaches human sexuality and a theories class for undergraduates going into the helping professions. Toby also hosts a weekly talk show, Paradigm Radio Show. You can find wherever you subscribe to podcasts. So sit back, buckle up and adjust the rear view. You're listening to Nashville to Memphis. Technology, man. It's amazing. Who would have thought when, when uh, we were growing up, you'd have to grab a to talk in private to your girlfriend. You'd have to grab that cord that was like seventy-five foot long in the house and wrap it <laughs> into the bathroom, and then shut the door. You know, yours is that long. <laughs> well, you know, hyperbole for effect. I'll do your official like intro offline, but I, I do want to talk to dive in, even though I'm I'm off. You know. In the intro with all the cool, smooth voice, you know, the quiet storm voice, I'll do the Toby Jenkins is the, you know, awesome guy on the planet. But I do want to talk about the fact that when we met, we've known each other probably, man, 12 years, 10 years, more than that. 2007. We moved to Nashville in 2007. I think I met you in 07 or 08. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, man, yeah, a a decade, which means we're probably about 28 now. That's right about our age, about 28 years old. We were about 18. Uh, I like that. Yeah. No, when when we met, um, first of all, you were, uh, you are one of the, and I'm being sincere here. This is no BS, no fluff. One of the most chilled out and level-headed people I have ever met in my entire life. Like when guys would be, yeah, man, when guys would be ready to go at each other in basketball, you're always like, hey, come on, man. Like, come on, let's just, <laughs> let's just calm down. And, and rumor has it that every now and then I could be a bit hotheaded, uh, but it's purely <laughs> speculation. So I don't know who started that rumor. <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't surprised when you told me, uh, you know, we, we played basketball together a lot and then we got to be friends and hung out and even our wives and kids got to know each other a little bit. Our daughters are pretty close to the same age. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't surprised when you told me you wanted to go into therapy because you just have that demeanor about you and, and sort of wanting to get into the helping profession. 
And that didn't surprise me. And my wife does that as well. And um, I, I wanted to talk several things uh, in this podcast, but um, you also, you teach, and I, if I say the class, is it human development or human sexuality? Human sexuality. Okay. Yeah. I, I wanted to, I, we want to get into a little bit and, and I'm going to, you had some awesome points about race and I don't even know what to call our conversation and for because you, you tripped me up about the whole theory on race. So I don't even know what to call it anymore. Like it's a conversation yeah. about people's cultural biases based on skin color. I don't even know what to call it. <laughs> and I mean that in a good way. You tripped me up on it. Like, I, oh wow, that's a whole paradigm shift. I don't even know what to think about things anymore. Hey, but, paradigm <laughs> shift, my radio show. I like yeah. It. I, I did that on purpose, by the way. I'll get back to that. So, I'm just dropping the Easter egg right now. Just a little Easter cool. egg about your, your show. But um, human sexuality is obviously something that is at the forefront. Oh, how do I say this? Um, of our political and cultural um, narrative currently, and really has been since the era of um, Bill Clinton. Uh, but to increasing degrees. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and honestly, um, whatever someone's political affiliations are, we would have to say that um, both uh, Bush Jr. and Obama probably conducted themselves a little more um, sexually upright than, than, say, Clinton and our current president. Uh, For sure. Do. Yep. So they both mm-hmm. conduct themselves a little differently. So um, with that, there's this whole balance. And, and I feel like I, one of them, you being level-headed, I feel like we can have a pretty open conversation. Sure. Um, the, the Me Too movement um, mm-hmm. had to happen. It, it had to happen. And, and I kept waiting to defend somebody. So I kept waiting to like <laughs> Matt Lauer. I was like, Matt Lauer seems like a – nope, he's a jerk. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Uh, you know, and then, and then there was like Kevin Spacey, he's a great actor. Oh, you can't do that, man. Um, yep. Bill Cosby, man, he was everybody's dad. Yep. Not Bill Cosby, like he sold me Jello Pudding Pops and Fat Albert. Yeah. And, you know what I'm saying? Like he was, uh, one of my favorite authors, Donald Miller, uh, wrote a book, mm-hmm. uh, called To Own a Dragon. And it's about what a father can impart to his kids. Mm-hmm. And oh, he, cool. and he didn't have really have a relationship with his father. And he actually started the book. Kind of tongue-in-cheek, but still saying, my father I got together with on Thursday nights, and he wore funny sweaters and was a doctor. And, like, he started to describe Cliff Huxtable as the mm. the father figure he looked up to. Mm-hmm. And that all fell apart with, with Bill Cosby. And then, of course, you have Harvey Weinstein, who's probably the, the worst, the most egregious offender of it all. Yeah. So the Me Too movement had to happen. Um. But I I worry, a friend of mine who's a songwriter said, I worry a lot about my daughter, but mm-hmm. I also worry a whole lot about my son. And yeah. and, and here's why. And, and you and I talked about this before, that things are really complex, and society always has to be careful. Um, there's also the case of in C, a season theory where uh, a woman accused him of assault because she hesitated before saying yes. And yeah. And we talked about the enthusiastic consent. Mm-hmm. Well, if we yeah. can be honest as a therapist, I've been married for almost a decade. You've been married, I think, 20 years, right? Am I right? 20. Yeah, 20, 20 years. May. Mm-hmm. The consent has not always been enthusiastic. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's been yeah. times she's really tired, but we have it for a couple of weeks. And it's kind of just, okay, fine. I know. Let's do this. 
I, yeah. I worry about our pendulum swinging too far. The cap, the cap had to burst on the whole. I don't want my daughter feeling like she can't have a voice or, you know, I, th- there's the, there's the thing that Neil Brennan said, uh, comedian, uh, he said, what, in what guy's mind does he think that it's a compliment to say, girl, your titty game is off the chain. Like, what would be in a man's mind to think that that is in any way flattering and not offensive? So we have to, we have to change that. I am all for changing that. But yeah. how do we safeguard and don't stifle our relationships by going too far? And I'm honestly asking from you, for one, as a professor and then as a therapist. Cool. So there, 10 minutes in, I get to my first question. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man where do you want to start with that so um so that that's a pretty all right so let's start with me too well let me go back for that because um you know as a um as a i hate I, it feels funny calling myself a professor but in my human sexuality class i try to keep it current so we talk about me too all the time and you know we were also talking about race earlier and so, uh, a couple of the con- a couple of the concepts I try to reinforce through the whole semester is that um, the power of things that are socially constructed. And so we've adopted these social constructions as fact, science, and reality, and we've dictated a lot of how we how society works, how relationships work, how a lot of things work on these uh, social constructions. And a lot of these constructions, especially when it comes to race and gender, are on on polar opposites. You know, it's a binary choice. It has to be one thing or the other. Right. But we know from a scientific standpoint, what we've learned over the centuries is that as far as race, as far as gender, it's far more complex than that. And all both of these things exist on somewhat of a continuum. But as far as these uh, social constructions are concerned, um, the downside, sometimes intentionally or not, is that they've also been the mechanisms of some type of oppression, um, someone benefiting at the expense of someone else, or just, you know, out and out dehumanization. So. Mm-hmm. So as we think about like the YouTube, uh, the Me Too movement, I'd about to say YouTube. <laughs> the YouTube <laughs> movement. <laughs> so as we think about the Me Too movement, it's been a long progression, you know, as a African, African American male, and I'd say halfway knowing about what happened in slavery, um, I used to think black people have, black people have, have the, uh, Black people know what it's like to be oppressed. We have, we are the uh, key holders of oppression. But if you look at human history, women have been oppressed for all of our history. Right. And it's been a gradual um, progression towards, um, you know, equality, essentially, and respect and dignity. So you're talking earlier about how can a guy say these things um, to another, to a woman? One of the fascinating insights I've had, uh, being a therapist and working with uh, people who are, I, I would call, in a non-heterosexual, um, but non-heterosexual uh, orientation, is that men are just pigs. So when, <laughs> when I talk to other, when I talk to gay men, um, I got I got a good education on Grinder, 
And, uh, I mean, it's just full of penis pics. Let's get right to it. And some of that's how we're socialized, right? Um, right. We give, we tend to give the other person what we want. And in an absence of social skills, a lot of men think that's okay because, you know, if you want to do therapy with single women in particular, they tell me all these things men do. And I'm, th- I'm thinking the same thing. I don't want to see someone's penis. That's not, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's not appealing to me. But we think it is, and we don't think about uh, what it means to be respectful. And some of that's uh, cultural, some of that's just a lack of education, and some of it's just just stupidity. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question, but it's kind of – so, like, we we talk a lot in my class about uh, consent and treating each other with respect, and – we try to break down my, – my objective through the whole semester is to break down some of these notions that we've adopted as fact in science, even though they aren't around gender construction and uh, the difference between gender and sex and all the variations mm. there in between. So, you know, sex is biological, but even with biological sex, there are some variations. And then with gender, um, who defined that? Who defined right. that women are – Women are uh, the fragile sex or the weaker sex, and women can't do this and women can't do that because there's been a whole laundry list of um, uh, associations, associations with intelligence, with physically physical demands. All these things are linked back to these social constructions. Mm. They've been gradually breaking down all over time. So I'm with you. I think the YouTube mo- movement. The Me Too movement, I said it again, the Me Too movement um, had to happen and it was going to happen eventually. Right. Do you worry for, we both have sons, I have I have three, you have one, um, mm-hmm. about it going, about false accusations? Because um, I've been a little concerned with, and let's just say the topic of the day, Kavanaugh, I think mm-hmm. he's probably guilty. But yeah. to say he can't be nominated, we're, we're not going to vet it, we're not going to find out she accused, that worries me. I'm okay going, I think he's probably guilty. Can we can we find out some info first? Or does that make – you know what I'm saying? Like before yeah. – because I've heard the, the argument, well, why would a woman ever accuse? Well, here's yeah. one thing I do know is that all humanity is capable of self-serving interests, and, and all humanity is capable of evil amongst uh, – all variations of color sure. and and gender and everything in between. So mm-hmm. I don't know that the thing of what would be her motivation. Well, there, I can think of all kinds of things. So I and and when I say that, I I I have felt attacked by people. How could you defend him? I, I'm not. I'm not defending. I think he's probably guilty. But can yeah. we just find out? You know, because that's to me that's the same as when someone without. I mean, obviously not as as as. Not as much history behind, it, but when someone assumes, when when the cop pulls over an African American and grabs for their gun, you're making a huge assumption. Can we find out what's going on? Like maybe mm-hmm. he swerved because there's a bee in his car, or you know whatever. Like can we just find out some information? And I'm always that guy. It's like, can we just slow down and find out some facts first? So, right. is there any fear in that? And and is our is our society in such a frenzy? And we finally sort of exploded this cap off. I, I kind of liken it to. Remember when you would put like Mentos in the uh, two liter of Pepsi and yeah. you shake it up, and so the yep. Me Too movement has finally exploded that that cap off. 
but I worry that we're going to make a mess of things by 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 finding our equilibrium. Does that does that make sense to you? Yeah, it makes total sense. And I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but across the board, false allegations of sexual assault are really really small. And so, like like you, it's kind of complex to get to because. Um, and then the other part of that is there's a ton of it that goes unreported for many many reasons. Um, whether it's it was so traumatizing you disassociated from it or you tucked it down um, and just agreed to move on, and um, you know that has um, mental health implications as well. Right. But you know that argument about the false accusations, um, there are going to be some, but. Throughout, statistically, it's been relatively small. I want to say it's less than 2%. Um, okay. But don't quote me on that. And so, okay. <laughs> but like you, I would want to, like with this Kavanaugh thing, I would like to see it investigated too. But, you know, this is the intersection of politics, sexuality, um, Me Too, and a bunch of other political pressures <laughs> Right. All at the same time. And so um, this is one thing I've been trying to keep in front of my class, too. Like, watch this, because we talk about these intersections of how all these things uh, collude with each other. And this is playing out in real time in front of you. Um, and we haven't right. seen anything like this for some time. So I'm, I'm kind of curious how this is going to work out, too. Um, yeah. It, it's in, and I don't want anyone... You know, like I said, I'm, I'm concerned for my daughter, but I'm also concerned for my son. Even if it is one out of a hundred, it's a false accusation. I would mm-hmm. hate for my son's life to be falsely ruined. Because yeah. let's be real, too. There's no coming back from that. If somebody accuses you of being a rapist and, and, and that sort of publicly gets legs, there's no coming back from that. At the same time, I don't want women to have to go back to feeling like they can't say something either. So I find myself going, ah, I don't know what to do. Like, is that, I mean, that's, that's not very professional yeah. of me to go, uh, I'm using an automatopoeia to describe my feelings, but, <laughs> but if you allow me to do that, going, I don't know what the answer is. Well, you know, uh, this is, this is a very important topic, especially sex education. And, um, with my son, um, I started having conversations with him really early. Um, I'll tell you a brief story about him. Um, I like me, he's a little bit of a late bloomer and he's, uh, at, at the time of this, this thing that happened, he was 11, almost 12. And we had a bunch of friends over for the, um, for the, um, eclipse last year. And so my daughter had friends over. He had a friend over who's a girl and we go back in the house and my daughter and her friends in the basement and I'm like, Hey, where's Eli? And everybody's like, I don't know. So I go upstairs. And his bedroom door is closed. And I go in there and I look and I, and they were both in there, he and this female friend of his. And so I say, um, y'all need to go downstairs. <laughs> and my son's like, what do you mean? I, I said, you can go downstairs. We can talk about it later, but you know, your friends don't belong in your bedroom. And so he had no clue. I mean, he wasn't right. even thinking like that. He was seeing her the way he sees his other male friends. His male friends aren't really allowed in the room unless it's a sleepover. But, you know, that led to a discussion with him at 11, almost 12, about these are the, this is the implication of this. Mm-hmm. These are the things that can happen when you're in a closed room with someone of the opposite sex. And so I talked to him about if she could say anything or you could end up in a situation you're not ready for. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so you have to think about the consequences of your behavior and you're getting to that age where uh, sexual encounters happen and they have real life implications. So, right. um, and he just was oblivious to it. I mean, when I was 11 and 12, I was a little more hip than that because right. times are, times are different and I wanted to get a girl in my room who could never do that. Right. Um, right. <laughs> but you know, times are different. And so, Every and every opportunity we have when this kind of stuff was on the news, uh, we have upfront conversations with them around. So my, my kids actually have gotten to the point where they will tell me, "Ooh, that's too much," you know. No, oh. because I want them to know. I don't want right. them to not know. And so, uh, from an education standpoint, um, most teenagers, uh, boys learn about sexual stuff from their peers. Who also don't want to know anything. Right. And a lot of girls learn about it accidentally. Mm. So if there is a conversation at home, it often takes place, uh, the mom has a conversation. And, you know, statistically dads are not involved in that conversation at all. Um, is so, it lame of me that I have the conversation with my sons, but I let my wife handle the one with my daughter? A little lame, only because I'm going to throw at you. Um, <laughs> oh, <which> man. <laughs> It's it's just really really, it was really hard, man. It was really, I mean, she's 17. She's good, but it's like, it was like, I, I'm not, I don't feel qualified for this. Uh, with the boys, I got it. I got it, but I didn't feel qualified. Yeah. But enlighten me. What, what should I have done? Uh, oh, well, okay. So historically, um, there, there's a, um, this game reporter, I've really become a fan of her. Her name is Peggy Ornstein, and she did a book, uh, She's done some research on the uh, hookup culture. And one mm. of the things that she has really latched on to, which I think is extremely powerful, is how we undereducate girls and their shame around pleasure. Mm. And how this plays out, even when we talk about anatomy with boys and girls, we have all these nicknames for boys, uh, genitalia when they're little, and we don't have any of those kind of barely nicknames for these kind of um for female genitalia. And so they grow up thinking that below the waist is kind of ambiguous. And so then how that plays out in mature relationships is they get into a service him kind of a mindset. Mm. And so based on that, I showed my daughter this uh, doc, this um, talk that Peggy Orenstein did. And she's written a couple books. And I can't remember the name I'm off the top of my head. But we try to have conversations around with my daughter and my son around what mutual respect looks like and what mm. um, mutual pleasuring is when it comes to a mature sexual relationship. And so I don't want my daughter servicing someone, so to speak. Right. Um, but some of the interesting findings that she had, one of the analogies she made, she was interviewing college women, and she said, uh, so at the end of this date, if this guy asked you to get up and get him a piece of, uh, get him a, a cup of water, you'd say no. And all these girls agreed. However, at the end of this day, if this guy wanted you to, uh, to get him off, then you would think about it differently and most of them would do it. And so she's like, That's what's crazy. the difference here? It, it's crazy, right? <laughs> but it's how we don't educate our girls around sexual pleasure. And uh, being fully equal in a intimate relationship. So I, I got to admit two things, <clears throat> and I'm gonna I'm gonna seem really lame. One, 
my wife being a therapist, it always made mm-hmm. me uncomfortable with how clinical she was with our daughter. Uh-huh. But maybe she was right. She was very yeah. open, but very clinical about stuff and just very, yeah. well, that's fine. That's a very normal, like, can we not talk about, that's my little girl. And the other thing, when yeah. you said daughter, even though you're mm-hmm. talking about your daughter, you said the words daughter and service him. I wanted to, mm-hmm. I instantly wanted to fight somebody. Like I, I instantly <laughs> wanted to, and I don't know how you've grown and matured since you've moved from Nashville, but uh, I don't know how you say those sentences. Like I'm still very protective of my daughter, which kind of leads into another thing. Okay. Uh, if I may, if I may. Sure. Um, Absolutely. My daughter, I have raised to be pretty strong. She's pretty free spirited. She's a theater kid, so she's weird, but weird in mm-hmm. a great way. Like weird, like she yeah. wears Jack Skellington pajamas to her finals that she gets hundred percent on. <laughs> I don't care if she's weird awesome. like that. If you're gonna be weird, be weird. You know, she yeah. likes the macabre. Um, uh-huh. But and so, and she has this. I can do anything a man can do, and I I raised her that way, and I believe Perfect. that in everything except the physical, that sometimes her overestimation about where she stands in a room physically Mm -hmm. worries me. Um, What do you mean where she stands physically in a room? Well, well, let me dismiss. I'm not talking about all females. My daughter is 5'4 and 100 pounds. But she will say, you know, guys try to rape girls, but girls fight them off all the time. I would do this to them, and I I would do that to them, and I would do this to them, and I'm like, Sweetheart, if that boy is my size, if he's 6'3 and 200 pounds, you can have a tough time. You need to, your strength needs to come in using your mind about how to not get yourself in those situations. Yeah. But once you're in them, you're, I hate to tell you this, sweetheart, but you're probably screwed. <laughs> you pro- I mean, and I don't yeah. mean that mean, like you're probably, it's too late. You've done messed yeah. up. And she's like, well, men are a little bit stronger. It's like, no, sweetheart. Men are way stronger. So, and, and, and I, and I hate to like, burst her bubble in that sense, but I don't want her to be naive about where it stands physically. And so how do you, how do you maintain that sense of you are a strong, powerful woman that in many ways are, is advantageous over males. In many ways, women function at a higher level, but this one area, you're probably never going to function as high as most men. I would play. Yeah, I would play the percentages. Because um, you know, while you were talking about that, um, my father-in-law, who's a gun enthusiast, has said to me, "You don't own a gun." He's like, "No." Um, what you gonna do to protect your family? Um, you know, it's been twenty-something years, and I haven't had to do that. And so, <laughs> yeah. so I say that to say I'm not the biggest guy in the world, and sure, I could be physically overpowered, um, but. Um, I coached my daughter in the same kind of way. Like you were just saying, keep yourself out of those situations. And while they're rare, it's kind of like a tornado. They're rare but have really damaging consequences. The best thing you can do is um, stay out of those kind of one-on-one situations where you feel very uncomfortable. But, you know, I, you know, I've had to – I can't think of a time that – I thought of earlier when you're talking about uh, fighting on the basketball court, and even then, um, I can usually you were always a peacemaker. I was a peacemaker. I could walk away, and so um, we talked to our daughter about um, when she's 15, and we talked to her about the the risk of drinking at parties. Um, yep. Never uh, always go with other people. Um, don't accept drinks from other people, from other people, especially guys. And then just on one-on-one situations, um, 
just to keep yourself out of those kind of situations. Um, so, I mean, you can't, you can't protect them from everything. Um, but, uh, you know, like you're saying, um, our daughters are pretty smart and probably at this point smarter than us. And <laughs> it doesn't we, take much in my account. So. <laughs> no, no. But, you know, I try to, I try to pass on a lot of that information. Um, like in my class, um, I asked them, um, typical Friday night, fellas, what do y'all do to get ready? And they're like, oh man, make sure I smell good, make sure it look good, get some drink, whatever. And you ask the women in the class, what do you do to get ready? Well, I make sure I'm with three people. I make sure people know where I am. And it's a right. totally different. <laughs> and yeah. so in a college class, that's usually the first time guys heard that. Mm. And so then we went, then we have the discussion, well, what do you think it's like when you've cornered this girl that you think is really cute and you won't leave her alone? Do you think this is charming? And, you know, most right. of the guys, then they, they had the, the light bulb goes off like, oh, they feel really threatened, don't they? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. You're bigger than they are generally. They don't know you. And they're already thinking, I need to be safe, not have right. fun. Um, so I try to tell my daughter those kind of things, too. And my and wife I, I, does a good job of doing of uh, having those kind of discussions, too. Yeah, and I've told Kira all those. I've told her you know, I, I hope let's, I'm gonna be honest. I hope my daughter never does get drunk, but I'm not naive enough to think that that's never going to be a possibility ever in her life. But I tell her things like, "Don't go alone. Cover your drink. Don't mm-hmm. accept drink." The same things you do, mm-hmm. and but that that leads me into and 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 we'll end up at the at the at the race discussion, which which <laughs> I, it's, which I know I want to I want to save the biggest for last. But in case sure. anyone hasn't picked up, because I am so soulful. Uh, I am a white male and Toby is an African American male. So, uh, and we are super good friends and I, he never could stop my turnaround jumper. So you can save your stereotypes for. No. <laughs> I go home depressed. I have to drink immediately. <laughs> uh, you know what though? You, 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 you outmailed me on something. When I had an issue with my car and I had no idea what I was doing. You came to my rescue because I was like, Toby, I don't know where the discombobulator goes with the uh, consumption machine. And you you know about cars. So you definitely are the alpha male in that regard. Uh, That was an exhaust issue, wasn't it? It was. It was. Yeah, okay. I remember it well. Okay. And I didn't know what I was doing at all. So, But I did did go home and show off to my wife that I I was dirty. Oh, like my hands got dirty. I was like, my hands, look at what I did, man. We, Toby That's and I right. fixed that car. It was mostly me. Toby helped a little bit, but <laughs> I lied to impress her. I'll be honest with you now. So, I'm glad uh, you got some points out of that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for listening to Nashville to Memphis. We truly appreciate it. If you enjoy the podcast, go on to your podcast provider on iTunes and give us a rating. Write us a couple sentences telling everyone how great we are. Ratings should be five stars and nothing below. I love doing this podcast, but like everything else, it costs money to make. So if you would, to show some support, go to Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, and stream some of our music. We have seven albums out, and it would mean a lot if you'd share it with your friends and tell everyone else about us, the Jason Lee McKinney Band. And speaking of supporting my music... Here's a little sample for you, a song you can sit back and enjoy while you're riding down the road.
so that that leads to a thing. I had a situation. Um, I teach adjunct uh, at Belmont in addition to teaching at Visible where I do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was early in the morning. I have eight o'clock class, and I was like, "Man, you know, there's always coffee in the break room. I'm gonna go to the break room." So I was walking around, bebopping around. I didn't think anybody else was in the building. I rounded mm-hmm. the corner just to walk in the break room. The door was open. Rounded the corner, and there was a female professor there, and she jumped and just out of her skin. And and then I was like, "Oh my gosh, are you okay?" And and you probably know where I'm going. And she was like, mm-hmm. "Okay." I, I didn't. I didn't know it was you. I just saw a male, and I, I, was, I was like, "No, I am so sorry." Like I was just trying to round a corner, and then I felt male guilt. It's like, yeah. "Oh man, I gotta. Do I have to be careful because I'm big?" Or, and I'm not the biggest. I, we're probably about the same. I, I'm six three. You're about the same, right? Probably about two hundred. Yeah. You probably lost weight since I. But I'm hovering around. I actually lost some weight. I'm hovering around at one eighty five. I'm doing good. Oh, but, good. Uh, yeah, but I mean, just just being a uh, you know big enough. Is that should males? How do we balance the caring for females and especially the rape culture that exists without walking around feeling bad that I have a Y chromosome? You know, like because there has to I be do. a balance. Of- <laughs> it does, and I think uh, I think awareness, similar to what we we're talking about, uh, you know, second ago with the exercise I do with my class, is understanding that uh, you know it kind of fits in the in the male privilege um, arena too. And that as a male, there are certain physical uh, threats that we don't have to worry about that women do worry about. So, like, in a similar fashion, um, my wife is scared easy around the house when it's dark. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think the base of it is someone could take advantage of me. Someone could physically overpower me. And that's just as a male, I don't, I don't have to think about it like that because – the chances of that are pretty, pretty slim. Um, the other thing is that, um, and it goes back to, and my wife has a story about this where uh, both our kids are really small. Uh, some a man approached her wanting to help her, and she immediately thought, this is danger. Um, mm. He's trying to hurt me, and I'm vulnerable here with my double stroller and my hands full of this diaper bag. And she yelled at him, you don't get away from me. Get away from me. <laughs> because she went immediately into, I gotta protect my children. Right. And so, like a couple minutes passed and the guy kind of circled back and said, I am so sorry. I was not thinking about myself in the way I should have and I'm really sorry I scared you. And so, um, I think you, you have to put yourself in, in the mind frame of someone else. And so, it's scary, uh, with the possibility, I mean, that's the worst case scenario, right? Right. I mean, even if you think about biblical times, um, when, when armies went in and conquered, they emasculated the men. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's one of the worst things to have your body violated. I mean, you've lost mm-hmm. control. And, I mean, it crosses so many barriers in your psyche. And let alone, if, uh, let alone the physical um, implications of it too. So, um, it's a. Uh, it, so you just have to kind of put yourself like you have to put yourself in that mindset. Uh, and you don't have to walk around on pins and needles, but just understand that uh, you know, nice, friendly Jason who never has that kind of thought or intent. Someone doesn't know you. Um, they're thinking about their women in particular are thinking about their safety way more than we think about ours. Right. Right. 
and that, and that you know that sort of leads into the same thing of and we kind of wrapped up well we our conversation on race of you know there's so many things that delve into race in America mm-hmm. um and and there's just so many factors of it that there are multiple groups that have been oppressed I would mm-hmm. say primarily African Americans followed by a close Native American uh, they, they weren't treated awesome either and then there's no. Japanese internment camps and all that and then you take females in general and then all the females of those groups mm-hmm. that have gotten the double pleasure of being not only a, mini- a minority uh, but also a minority female which is probably even worse um yep. But there's all these things, and we talked about at the school I teach at is predominantly African American, and but there are there have been things where there's been culture classes. You know, we have um, it's a great thing. It's a great school, but it's really interracial, and there's a large Latino contingent, and but there's also Caucasian homeschool kids, and it's all just sort of clashing together. And it's a Christian yep. school, so it's all under everyone wants to try to get along. I'm not saying Christendom <laughs> in the in the sense that. Christendom is perfect, but everyone kind of comes in with the intent of we're in this together. We're not enemies. We're trying to, but there's still some rub. And, mm-hmm. and I look at it and go, a lot of it's just complexity of, and, and we talked about this, how multiple things can be true. So when I rounded the corner, going back to the Belmont thing, mm-hmm. I, I end up feeling guilty, but I haven't done anything wrong. I didn't do anything right. wrong by rounding that corner, but I mm-hmm. feel guilt. Because mm-hmm. I'm male, and there's a certain part of that, like, that doesn't feel right. But at the yeah. same time, I scared her, yep. and she didn't know that I wasn't who I was. Until she recognized me, she just saw this big figure walk in. Right. It's also fair for her to be afraid. Yeah. So, and I liken that to, it is fair for a white male student to go, I've not done any of this. Why are you mad at me? That is fair. Mm-hmm. But it is also fair fair and true to say you don't know what it's like when you see a cop car. I mean, as a white male, I think, crap, he might give me a ticket. (laughs) I I, I think something, but I don't think, crap, he may arrest me or shoot me. You you know, you don't – I mean, and and so do I have a fear? I don't think that white people go by the cops and go, hey, what's up, dude? And Like, I mean, we all have fear of cops. There's a certain level of fear of cops that it's probably good for society, to be honest. Otherwise, I'd drive 95 and 35. I mean, I'm that guy. So there's a healthy fear, but I don't have the same kind of fear that a minority does. Mm -hmm. And so that's also fair and true. And Mm -hmm. it's fair and true that we have some uh, white kids at at Visible who have grown up in the system without parents with – abusive situations that have technically had it worse than some of our African-American kids who grew up in very stable, very good homes, two parents, you know, stable. And yet there's an assumption by a lot that the white kids have always had it better. That's not fair either. You know, you know what I'm saying? But then again, on the other side, there are systemic issues that are against minorities that we just don't have to realize as white males. 